Joshua chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Then the lot for the sons of Joseph went from the Jordan at Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east into the wilderness, going up from Jericho through the hill country to Bethel. It went from Bethel to Luz and continued to the border of the Archites at Ataroth. It went down westward to the territory of the Japhletites, as far as the territory of Lower Beth Horon, even to Gezer, and it ended up at the sea. The sons of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim received their inheritance. Now this was the territory of the sons of Ephraim according to their families. The border of their inheritance eastward was Adaroth Adar, as far as upper Beth Horon. Then the border went westward to Michmaphath on the north, and the border turned about eastward to Teanath Shiloh, and continued beyond to the east of Genoa. It went down from Genoa to Adaroth and to Neara, and then reached Jericho and came out to the Jordan. You're all, I'm sure, mapping this brilliantly in your minds. <clears throat> Verse 8, from Tapua, the border continued westward to the brook of Cana, and it ended up at the sea. And this is the inheritance of the tribes of the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, together with the cities which were set apart for the sons of Ephraim in the midst of the inheritance of the sons of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. Now what you're reading here, what we're in the middle of in Joshua, is the inheritance of the land. Okay, this is title insurance for the Jewish people. This was Joshua laying it out and telling them exactly what their borders and their boundaries were for each one of the twelve tribes. And that's described through this part of the book of Joshua. Joshua 13 through 19 and, and chapter 21 are all the inheritance of the Jewish people. Verse 10 goes on and says, They did not drive, drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day and they became forced laborers. Chapter 17 verse 1 then continues and says, This was the lot for the tribe of Manasseh. For he was the firstborn of Joseph. To Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, were allotted Gilead and Bashan because he was a man of war. I remember being back in Bible college and uh, knowing that I was going to preach my first sermon. When I came home at Christmas from my freshman year of college, I was supposed to preach. And I started thinking about it, oh, long about September. And I started worrying about it in October. And I started stressing about it in November. And finally in December, I opened my Bible and started to think about what I might say. And I looked at this book, vast as it was to me in that day, and I had no idea what I was going to talk about. But I can promise you this. Joshua chapter 16 probably would have been the last place I looked. You read something like this, and as we discussed Wednesday night, we say, hey, big deal. We don't even know where these places are. We can't even imagine or figure out what this is saying. And even if we could, it's like standing in a realtor's office looking at someone else's property. Who cares? What does this have to do with me? It has a lot to do with us. And there's something here that I want you to see this morning, and it's actually a very simple thing. In fact, the, the study this morning has one point to write down. One thing which I'll share with you in just a minute. But let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Father, open our eyes again to see your word. We pray, Father, that the book would live to us as we learn to live in this book. That it would breathe new life into us and, and that your spirit would implant these words. As the Bible says, that we might receive the word implanted. 
that grows and germinates and is nurtured by your spirit that we in our lives would grow closer and closer to you Father Holy Spirit you are our teacher and guide we trust you we rely on you and we ask you to show us truth today in Jesus name Amen in one way or another birth order impacts everyone how many firstborns do we have here this morning? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, so you're the firstborns. Okay, we can tell a lot about you just by knowing that. Doesn't that make sense, everybody? They're the firstborn. How many secondborns do we have? Secondborns, all right. Okay, any thirdborns in, in, in a number? Like, like you feel like kind of the middle childhood? Okay, that explains a few things to me as well. I'll never forget the day that Hannah came home from the hospital. Corey had just turned two, like literally a week or so before. And we bring home this little package of Hannah, having no idea. Now, Hannah was born on the 4th of July, which explains a lot about her, our little firecracker. And we had no idea what we were bringing home, what that package was going to be, but we brought her home, and I'll tell you what the biggest surprise was of all. It was Corey's reaction. Now, my son Corey is a mellow dude. He is so la- If he was any more laid back, he would be horizontal. He is a very relaxed kid. He's the kind of kid that, that every parent dreams of as far as discipline because he's just it's like, Corey, why'd you do that? I'm sorry, Dad. And, he, and, you know, I mean, he's just very easy, very easygoing. And even the first two years of his life, you know, barring the first three months where he was colicking and cried 24-7, but after that, he just, he just was a calm, relaxed kid. And then we brought Hannah home, and he went berserk. He went into a crying fit. I don't even know what started it. But I remember vividly, Cheryl and I, we had a, a, a townhouse that we were living in at the time, going up and down the stairs, trading off, trying to figure out what to do for this child because he was in the middle of his bedroom floor, absolutely throwing a hissy fit, crying tears everywhere, screaming, hitting himself in the face. He had a bloody lip, and we're watching this going, Our son is freaking out! Call someone! Because we didn't know what to do. And I didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't comprehend where he was at as a two-year-old who had 100% attention from his parents until Hannah came along. Now there's someone else stealing his space, encroaching upon what was here, his. And up until she came home, it was just something that we'd talk about with him. But you know, 15 months, 2 years old, I mean, how could he possibly really understand what was going on? And then she was there, and he freaked out. Now he got over it. You know, he's much better today. It's been 16 years. But I began thinking even back then about what this was going to be like. Suddenly we went from having an only child to having two. Later we would add Hayden into the mix and that would be a whole new dynamic. Birth order impacts everyone. It affects every single one of us. Back in 1870 a man was born who later was called the father of modern psychology. His name was Alfred Adler. And Adler really brought this thing to light in his research. He talked a lot about the impact of birth order. A few things just to be aware of. The only child. Adler said the only child is seen by the parents as a miracle child. He receives or she receives 200% of the parental attention. And sometimes because of that often has difficulty sharing with his or her peers. Only children like adult attention because they are raised in that environment. Then you have the adopted child. A whole different dynamic. 
Parents can be so thankful to have an adopted child that they can sometimes spoil or overcompensate because they're concerned about the adopted child dealing with their past, dealing with the biological parents and that loss. And sometimes these kids will either idealize or they will resent their original biological parents. Then there's the youngest child, which would be Hayden, who has many parents. Hayden suffers from four parents in my house. Me, Cheryl, Corey, and Hannah. Of course, then you've got Grammy and Gramps, so you can throw that all in together there. And he, he's got all these parents around him, and often the youngest child, and you may see this in your own families, even as an adult, they remain the baby of the family, which really ticks off the firstborn. The youngest child. Often that youngest child has a drive to want to surpass the others and may have big plans in life that never really seem to materialize. Which is interesting. The middle child, I call that the Jan Brady syndrome. You know, Jan never seemed to fit in that show. Did you notice that? They tried to do shows about her every now and then. Those of you who watch the Brady Bunch, maybe I'm dating myself here a little bit. But she never seemed to fit. And when they had specific shows for her, it was like, can we get back to a show about, you know, Marsha? Because she's a lot more fun. The, the middle child is sandwiched in and can feel lost in the shuffle and maybe can have trouble finding their place in the world and in the family. The second born child, I'm the second born, has a pacemaker. I'm not talking about the heart. I'm talking about the firstborn. Because the secondborn can watch the firstborn and learn from all his or her mistakes and come right along and pick up where they left off. And the firstborn hates that too, by the way. My brother and I growing up, it was hilarious. Ron always blazed the trail and I learned from his mistakes. I learned. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I learned how to sneak out effectively by watching Ron get in trouble for doing it. Okay? Now, lest you think Rick was a wild child, I did sneak out, and my parents didn't know they knew it later. I have since paid for that over the years. But I didn't sneak out to do drugs. I just snuck out to go to Winchell's Donuts, because that's where my friends and I hung out. But I watched and learned from my brother's mistakes as the second child. I had someone to learn from, and often the second child can tend to be either real competitive or very confident. You notice I said mostly positive stuff about the second child, myself being the second. Anyway, the oldest or the firstborn child is the one who tends to be dethroned by the second child. It's the one who has to learn to share both the parents and their world, having already had the experience of only of being the only child now are thrust into a new position. Each one of these situations are completely different in the birth order. Now, without going into any further into the psychobabble realm, we all, obviously, were somebody's child. We all had a place. Whether adopted or only child or first, second, third born, middle child, whatever. We all have a place in the scheme of birth order. And there's a reason I'm talking about this. Because as we read through and study Joshua 13 through 19 and chapter 21, it's important to remember that this is the continuing story of 12 brothers. This is the continuing story of 12 sons who all had a different place in the family. All had a birth order, as it were. All fit into the scheme of the family of Israel, or Jacob, that would impact them. Not only would it impact them, but it would go on to impact their very tribes down the line and how they all fit together. This is a family that we're studying. And if we know anything about families today, we know they are dysfunctional. By the way, my definition for a dysfunctional family is pretty much everybody's family. I love how we get off on the, on the psychology and we try to say, well, this is a dysfunctional family. No, if you have a family, it's dysfunctional, okay? Because we're sinners. 
Because we all sin and fall short of God's glory. And so there's not a perfect family out there, gang. You may think for a moment, well, mine's pretty good. Well, give it time. The truth is, every one of our families have a weirdo. Careful, it may be you. Every one of our families have to deal. And as you read and study this story of the family of Israel, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, we see what we would call dysfunction today. It's just a psychological term that doesn't mean anything other than a family struggling to learn to get along. And that's what we see going on. The people of Israel draw their roots back to the sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. These are the twelve sons of Israel. Now, from the passage we just read, you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You missed two. You you just named twelve sons, but you missed two of them. What about Ephraim and Manasseh? Well, Ephraim and Manasseh were actually the grandsons of Jacob. They were not Jacob's sons. They were Joseph's sons. And so when you add up the number of the tribes of Israel, you can take Joseph out and place Ephraim and Manasseh in his place. Well, wait a minute, Rick. That's 13 tribes. I thought you said 12 tribes received their allotment. Exactly. Because Levi is also pulled out of the allotment of the tribes. Levi being the priestly tribe. And Joshua 13, 14 says, To the tribe of Levi he did not give an inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are the inheritance, as he spoke to them. And we read earlier in our studies in the Torah, we read and, and learned that Levi, their portion, their inheritance was the Lord. Because they were the priestly tribe. So you remove Levi, you remove Joseph, you put Ephraim and Manasseh in, 12 tribes, 12 allotments of land in the promised land. But here's the thing. Chapter 16 and 17 describe this land in detail given to these two tribes from these two brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. What's interesting is often when we talk about Ephraim and Manasseh, and if you've listened to any studies or looked at Ephraim and Manasseh, they tend to be spoken of that way, Ephraim and Manasseh. But there's a problem because they shouldn't be spoken of that way. Manasseh was the firstborn. We should call them Manasseh and Ephraim. That, that's the way that, that they should be referred to biblically. Something is out of order. But we need to go back this morning to track an interesting twist in the lives of these two grandsons of, of Jacob. Flip back to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48. By the way, in the twist of these two boys, you might be amazed to, how, to find out how much this has to do with you this morning. Ephraim and Manasseh. Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. It's the first book in the Bible. It's probably the easiest one to find next to Revelation. Being the last book in the Bible. Genesis 48, 1. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was old. Or, sorry, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. Jacob was old. Joseph was, he was fine. Behold, your father is sick. And so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And when it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. And then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting inheritance. Now to your two sons, 
Your two sons who were born to you, Joseph, Jacob speaking to Joseph, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. What's going on here? Jacob is taking Joseph's sons as his own. Now what's significant about this is Jacob's about to die. He's on his deathbed. What he's doing for Joseph, who already has a great inheritance, Joseph now is very high up in the land of Egypt. He's a great ruler, he's a wealthy man, and so what Jacob is doing, what Israel is doing, is saying, okay, Joseph, you're fine, but I'm now going to bring your two sons into my family for an inheritance. They're going to be counted as one of my sons. This is a huge honor. Verse 7 going on. It says, Now, as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And that's where Rachel is buried. Rachel's tomb is there. Verse 8, When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Okay, remember, Israel is blind at this point. And Joseph said to his father, They're my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. And then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. It's a touching moment. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. And then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left... And Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right. What's he doing? He's placing his firstborn son by the right hand of his father to make sure that Israel's right hand, the hand of firstborn blessing, goes down on his firstborn son, Manasseh. He takes him and switches him over, puts him in the right place before his dad because his dad's blind. He's just helping out here. But, verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said to God, before, before, my, uh, who, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one's the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce a blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Interesting. A curious story. Now, some might call this sleight of hand 
uh, moved by a cantankerous old man who just wants to do his old thing. The, the schemer, the schemer Jacob. Do you remember what Jacob means, Jacob? What does your name mean? Heel catcher. That's what Jacob means. Heel catcher. One who schemes. One who grasps at the heel. One who comes up behind the second born son. Who grabs all over the firstborn, Esau, and pulls and tries to get out first. And tries to get ahead. See, we got a birth order thing happening right there with Jacob and Esau. You remember Esau. He was the firstborn. The firstborn son of Isaac. And then along comes Jacob as the secondborn. But Jacob gets the blessing. He steals it. As, as though he were grasping Esau's heel and pulls him back and runs ahead and steals the blessing and steals the birthright. Interesting that now he's doing the same thing for his grandsons. He's placing the younger ahead of the older. But you've got to understand something. This isn't Jacob who's giving the blessing. What do you mean? Look back at verse 2 again. Genesis 48 verse 2 When it was told to Jacob That is heel catcher Behold your son Joseph has come to you Israel collected his strength And sat up on the bed Well part of that is just explaining to us That Jacob and Israel are the same guy But there's more to this I believe Because Israel Israel meaning prince of God Is the man who is prophesying here Prophesying. I, I thought he said blessing. No, he's prophesying. All of Genesis 48 and 49 are a prophetic blessing. This is the stuff of prophecy. And Ephraim ultimately, historically, did become the greater of the two tribes by far. In fact, after Israel split into two nations, the kingdom in the north and the kingdom in the south, the northern kingdom is called Ephraim as often as it's called Israel because Ephraim was such a vast tribe by that time. Everything that Jacob spoke, Israel, excuse me, everything that Israel spoke over these two boys came true as he switched his hands and said, no, the younger will be greater. Because the younger did turn out to be greater. Ephraim did become predominant. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 12 says, He will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Speaking prophetically of what will happen in these last days. In fact, speaking prophetically of what we see happening in these last days. The dispersed of Israel all over the earth being brought in together. And Isaiah says, Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart, and those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. He's talking about Judah, the southern tribes, and Ephraim, the entire northern tribes, because Ephraim became so great. Okay, there's a little history for you, but here's what I want you to see. Manasseh was firstborn, but Ephraim was blessed. Manasseh's firstborn, Ephraim's blessed. Blowing the birth order away, along comes secondborn son up to the forefront, and he gets the blessing. These two tribes, these two boys, in this birth order, the whole thing got tweaked. But again, it's the stuff of prophecy. It's important to understand this. It's a pattern that we see happening over and over and over in Scripture. Think about this. Cain is the firstborn. Abel gets the blessing. Genesis chapter 4 verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Firstborn was not blessed. The secondborn was blessed. Ishmael 
was the firstborn son of Abraham. And yet Isaac was blessed not only as his son, Isaac gets blessed as the only son. If you read in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, 12, and 16, all three, the Lord is speaking to Abraham, and He says the following, He says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac. In other words, God doesn't even regard Ishmael as a son of Abraham. Why? Well, you may remember that story. Ishmael is the son of Abraham by his maidservant Hagar because Abraham didn't think his wife Sarah could have children anymore. God said, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. And Abraham's looking at his shriveled up old wife going, <laughs> we're not going to have a great nation from there. And he sees a young handmaid and, and Sarah says, yeah, take her and we'll build a nation that way. Okay, great, that'll work. And it didn't work out very well at all. Talk about family dysfunction. It was a mess. But the Lord regarded Isaac not only as blessed, but as the only son of Abraham. But that's not the only story. Esau was the firstborn. And Jacob got the blessing. And so much so that Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, and Paul quotes this later in Galatians, tells us, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. God hated? God's drawing a dramatic contrast here between these two brothers. And he's saying, Jacob, the secondborn, got the birthright, stole the blessing, the whole thing. But God says, it was my plan all along that the younger would come ahead of the, of the older. That the secondborn would take first place and the firstborn would be, as it were, forgotten. It continues on. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel, but Joseph ends up with the blessing. Aaron is the firstborn of the sons of, uh, of Levi, but Moses ends up blessed. I wonder how Aaron dealt with that through the whole travel in the wilderness. He was the older brother. He was the one who should have been at the forefront. In fact, his younger brother couldn't even speak at the beginning. Babbling along, had to have older brother Aaron to come along and speak for him because he just did, couldn't get his words out, apparently. And yet God says, no, I choose the secondborn. I'm going to put Moses ahead of Aaron. Now, right now, you secondborn people are going, <laughs> it's the way it's supposed to be. That's exactly the way it should be, because I know my, my older sibling. And I should be in first place. Don't get ahead of ourselves. Aaron was firstborn. Moses is blessed. And along comes Manasseh, who is firstborn. But Israel switches his hands, and Ephraim is blessed. And this definite pattern emerges in Scripture. And when you see a pattern like this in the Bible as you're reading along, you've got to stop and ask, why? Lord, what are you doing? This is not just happenstance. This is not just a one-time event. Over and over and over, the older is passed by. And the second-born son moves to the forefront. Why? Here's the one thing to jot down. It's the only thing you have to remember from this morning's study. God forgets the firstborn and favors the second-born. God forgets the firstborn and favors the secondborn. Now, now firstborn people, don't get your birth certificate in a wad. Just, just hang on a second. I'll explain this to you. God forgets the firstborn, but He favors the secondborn. But the picture that emerges here, is I, even as I say that, is not about children and birth order. It taps into something much deeper. It's the most significant issue in our very lives. The firstborn in these biblical templates always portray the flesh. Think about this. Cain brought a fleshly offering. 
Cain is a picture of the flesh, the toil, the work of his hands, the work of the field. That's what he brought to the Lord. It's a picture of the flesh. Ishmael, if that's not a picture of the flesh, he was born of the will of man, not the will of God. God said, you're going to have a son, and I'm going to make sure you have a son, and it's going to be miraculous, and it's going to be my me. And Abraham says, well, let's try this in the flesh first. And Ishmael is born, causing strife, even, by the way, to this day. The impact of struggle in the Middle East is because the Arabic people draw back to two, two different men, Esau and Ishmael, both set against Israel. And it even affects the world today. Esau despised his birthright for a bowl of soup. And throughout the Bible, Esau is a picture of the flesh. Reuben was called by Israel, quote, The might and beginning of my strength, but uncontrolled as water. Why is Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, uncontrolled as water? Because he slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And again, you want to talk about funky families, strange families. Read about these sons of Israel. Go back to Genesis and look at what happened. It is absolutely off the charts. Psychologists today would have a field day just trying to work with this nutty family. So Reuben's a picture of the flesh. Aaron. How about Aaron? Well, Aaron was a high priest. Yeah, but Aaron before that also was the one who hammered the golden calf together. Forgetting all about what God was doing through Moses up on the mountain... Aaron is leading the people into paganism. And Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, ended up splitting into two sections. One section not having the guts enough to cross the Jordan River and be part of the land. Every one of these firstborn sons are a picture of the flesh in the scripture. And yet in every one of these instances, the secondborn indicates the opposite. What's that? The spirit man. In each one of these situations... We see the second born as a picture of the spirit, Abel. Cain and Abel, Cain of the flesh, Abel who brings the firstlings of his flock and offers a sacrifice. Jacob and Esau, well Jacob didn't seem too spiritual at first, but I'll tell you what, he wrestled with God. He struggled to know God. He clung to God. And he became an old prophet at his bed. And Jesus says the following in John 3, verse 4. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You and I have all been born of water. If you've ever been at a live birth, and not to be gross, there's a lot of water going on there. Okay? Cheryl, when, when she had Corey, well, I've got pictures to prove this. I called her my little Oompa Loompa because when she was pregnant, there was some water retention going on there. It was unbelievable. I mean, you could poke her arm and, and make a little finger hole and it slowly come back. Kind of like Play-Doh. I had more fun just poking her arm, you know, and watching it come back. She had more fun knocking me off my chair when I do that. But, I totally lost my, oh yeah, water. So, but when Corey was born, the next day, the next day, Cheryl was back to her normal weight. And I know some of you ladies probably would hate her for that. But, she lost all that born of water. You're either born of water 
and the Spirit, or some are just born of water and have not yet been born of the Spirit. But Jesus says, unless you're born of water, that is the flesh, and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't go in. Just being born into this world, no matter how good, good a person you are in the flesh, doesn't gain you entrance into the kingdom. And you know this. Jesus says, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. One of my favorite quotes, I've shared this before, was Moody, who said the following. He said, he who is born once will die twice. He who is born twice will die once. What does that mean? We read it again. Process this. He who is born once will die twice. He who is born twice will die once. What does that mean? Jesus said in John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, that is at his coming, if you're alive when he comes, you'll never die. He who is born once, born of the flesh, will die twice. That is, you'll have a physical death to look forward to and a spiritual death. The Bible is very clear on this point, gang. But if you're born twice, that is, born of the flesh and born of the Spirit, well, in that case, at best, you'll die once. And you might not even die once. If you happen to be alive at the time of the rapture, which I'm, by the way, I'm counting on, I want to be one of those who Jesus says everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. I would love to be here to see that and I expect it. And as I've shared, I believe that is imminent. There is a first birth and a second birth. A first death and a second death. And Jesus says if you are born again of the Spirit, even though you may die in your flesh, that is the first death, your spirit will never experience what the Bible calls the tragic second death. Revelation chapter 20 verse 14, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But this does not have to be anyone's destiny. This is not and was not Gail's destiny because he was born of the Spirit. And though his physical body died, he will never face another death eternally. Isn't that great? Praise God. God forgets the firstborn and favors the secondborn. Do you understand now what that means? Outside of Jesus, I'm the firstborn. I'm Cain, Ishmael, Esau, Reuben, Aaron, Manasseh. I'm all these guys all rolled into one. I'm stuck in the flesh outside of Jesus. But in Jesus, I am Ephraim. I'm the secondborn. I am now living in the second born life. Not the first born life, the life of the flesh, the life I lived before, but the life of the second born, favored, loved by the Father. And I'm talking spiritually and talking internally. Now, quick side note for you Bible students, and you, you may have been aware of this or looked into this. There's an idea out there in Christianity that's, that's unfortunately somewhat pervasive, and it's called British Israelism. And it's this whole concept, when you look at Ephraim and Manasseh in the Bible, it's people saying, hey, we are literal Ephraim. That at the time that the northern tribes were attacked by Assyria and, and dispersed and driven out, in that dispersion, that diaspora that's talked about in history, as the Jews fled and, and spread out into Europe and on over, it's believed by some that Ephraim went on into Europe and Great Britain and settled there, many of them, and then got on ships and sailed across to the New World, America. 
and that most of us actually can draw our heritage back to the tribe of Ephraim thus we are truly Jewish people and that's why we're saved and that is complete bunk it's absolutely bogus because not even Israel is going to be saved because they're Israel gang there's only one way to be saved and that's through faith in Jesus Christ and when the Bible talks about all Israel being saved as well they will be guess what all Israel will be saved because of faith in Jesus not because they happen to be of Israel it's not a name that saves us well it's only one name that saves us it's the name of Jesus Christ now 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us if anyone is in Christ he's a new creature the old things have passed away behold the new things have come Romans chapter 6 verse 6 our old self was crucified with him that is our firstborn self the one born of water in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is free from sin now maybe in the flesh you're firstborn you felt dethroned in the family or unfairly responsible of younger kids maybe you're the middle child in your family kind of lost in the shuffle maybe you've been adopted but listen regardless of your human upbringing your place in the flesh regardless of any of that you and I are invited every one of us to be the favored second born the favored second born of God John wrote in John chapter 1 verse 12 as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but born of God this is great news because it even means right now today you and I can shed our birth order the impact of those things in our family, in our lives, in our history. We can shed that because in the Lord I am now a child. I'm a child of my Father where order makes no difference. What do you mean order makes no difference? Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first. In the kingdom, it doesn't matter who came first except for one and that's Jesus. He is the only one who was first. Jesus said in Mark 10.29, Truly I, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age that is houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And he says, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And Jesus says, you know what? If you give up things for me and for the kingdom, you're going to receive back so much more. We learned that just in the beginning of the bridge. Things that we gave up, that God has replaced. Of family and, and farms and children and, and sisters. I love how Hannah talked about that she always wanted sisters. And yet when the bridge started, she got them. She got some older sisters. The Gilmore girls are now sisters that Hannah never had. She also wanted horses. That worked out pretty good too. <laughs> some of you are sitting here this morning still sorting through, wading through a history of family dysfunction or abuse or inferiority or self-loathing sibling rivalry generational junk that just kind of sticks to you listen to this Romans 8.15 you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba Father 
The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children were heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs, this will blow your mind, fellow heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. How is it possible that I can move from whatever position I'm in right now into a place of being an heir, a fellow heir with Christ Jesus? It's possible because there was one firstborn who became flesh but was always favored in His firstborn status. Always filled with the Spirit. One firstborn who was perfect in flesh and spirit. That firstborn being Jesus. Last passage I want you to see. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Book of Colossians in the New Testament. In chapter 1 verse 15. It tells us of this firstborn. Jesus Christ. Listen closely. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Through Him and for Him. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now you might say, well, Rick, i got a problem with that right there. Because you just started out earlier saying you had this thing about the Trinity. It says Jesus is equal with God. But right here, right here, Paul writes that he's the firstborn of all creation. You need to understand the language, the culture, and what's being said here. The firstborn here. This is not the first created. Because Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God. Came as God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And even this word here, firstborn, it's not the word first created. In the Greek language, and this is very clear, if we were all Greek we'd understand this, but in the Greek language, first created is the word prototisis, I think. Prototisis. Yeah, yeah, prototisis. Trust me, that's what it is. First created, it's a different word. What's used here in the word firstborn is much easier to say. It's prototokos. Prototokos means firstborn. Different word. What's the difference? Firstborn has to do with the place, the preeminence, the air, the position. Not how the person got there. That's the other word that I couldn't say. Prototokos. <laughs> That's first created. If that word had been used, we'd have trouble. We'd have a problem. We'd read that and go, whoa, he's the first created of all creation. Uh uh-uh. uh. He's the firstborn. He is the heir. He is the preeminent one. Heir to the in- entire inheritance and the one who's equal to the Father. And Jewish people would understand that. They'd have no trouble with this passage, understanding Jesus as the firstborn, quote-unquote, as the heir, as the preeminent one. Why? Because, listen to this, John 5.18 tells us, For this reason, before the Jews, the, the Jews therefore were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. For what reason? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath in their eyes, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. They got it. 
when Jesus called himself son of God in our culture we say son oh then he's lesser than no in their culture in Hebrew culture in Jewish culture the son especially the firstborn son was equal to the father and when the father was gone the firstborn son would be the complete heir over all things he would have all authority isn't that what Jesus said all authority Matthew 28.18 has been given to me whether in heaven or on earth all authority is mine Jesus said It's been given to me. Why? Because he assumed the place. He took the position of the firstborn. I am the secondborn. Not in the flesh. I am Ephraim. Through Jesus, I am the child of the second chance. I am favored. I am not forgotten. So would you do me a favor? Do yourself a favor. Do the Lord a favor today. Forget the firstborn you. And favor the second born you. The one who has been born again by the Spirit into the family of the Lord. Genesis 48 verse 20 says he blessed them that day saying, By you Israel will pronounce this blessing saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. You've got to be born again. And if you haven't been born again, listen. You have opportunity to step into a brand new place this morning. To be born again into the spirit of the living God. If you've been born again, and I've said this before, I'm just going to have to keep saying it because I keep hearing things. If you have been born again and you are walking in the Lord, then you need to enjoy the favored status of the second born and stop thinking about your firstborn life. Stop going back to the things you did. Stop wallowing in in the guilt over the past because right now, presently, if you are in the Lord, you are standing like Ephraim as the favored one. The one that God loves. The one that He's forgiven and the past that He has forgotten. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, what a great gift You have given us in Your grace. Lord, this is nothing new. This is something that we have seen over and over and over again in Jesus Christ. The opportunity for our lives to be changed and altered and brought into a union with you that is favored. A place where we're considered, Lord, righteous before you. Honored before you and loved. While that firstborn of our previous life is bypassed and forgotten through the perfect blood of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for providing this. And if you've never given your life to the Lord, would you pray with me this morning? Father, I want to be born again. I need to be born again. So I pray that your Spirit would come into me now and hear my confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I receive Him now as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Now I ask that you would live in me. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. As they're coming up, there's one other thing I want to point out to you. If you look back at Joshua chapter 17... In verse 14, and we're going to look at this much more on Wednesday night. 
But it's interesting because Manasseh, if you look at the allotment of land, the original allotment, Manasseh gets a whole lot more. Even though Ephraim is firstborn and is favored, you look at the land and there's, it's, it's quite a bit for Manasseh on either side of the Jordan River. And Ephraim recognizes this. And by the way, Joshua is of the tribe of Ephraim. And the tribe comes to Joshua in verse 14. It says, The sons of Joseph spoke to Joshua and they said, Why have you given me only one lot and one portion for an inheritance, since I am a numerous people whom the Lord has thus far blessed? It's Ephraim saying, Wait a minute, we're the firstborn, aren't we? We're the blessed. We're supposed to be preeminent. We're supposed to be ahead of Manasseh, but it looks like Manasseh's got more of an inheritance. So what's the deal? Listen to what Joshua says, verse 15. If you're a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear a place for yourself. There in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the sons of Joseph said, Well, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the valley, uh, valley land have chariots of iron, both those who are in Bethshean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim, and Manasseh, saying, You're a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one lot only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you can clear it. And to its farthest borders, borders it shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't have enough inheritance? Then go get more. Then spread out. He doesn't cave to the request. He says, hey, firstborn, fight on. Take possession of the promises of God. You wondered how I was going to get it in there. There it is. Just because you're firstborn in favor doesn't mean that the fight is over. You fight on. You take possession. And the Lord will bless you in that favored status.